And so to one of Charles's long-term friends and advisers, Jonathan Porritt. Sir Jonathan, to be absolutely correct, you may recall his father who came third in the race in the film Chariots of Fire and then went on to be the Queen's Doctor and Governor-General of New Zealand. Jonathan leads Forum for the Future, persuading corporations to change. Yeah, the Forum is doing well, happily. We're soon be 30 years old. Got a lot of partners still around the world. Still push this story that companies can be doing a lot more than they are doing and should be doing a lot more. And I think we found a way of doing that without giving them an easy pass, but without necessarily blaming them for everything that actually should be laid at the door of poor governance. Tell me how that works. Do they knock on your door or do you seek them out? Most of the time now we have companies approaching us. We might be working in a particular sector where we'll decide that it would be really good to be able to have a better balance in the partners we're working with. So we're doing a lot now on regenerative agriculture, for instance, which is a huge concern now globally. And when we were looking at whether we had any partners in India to do that, we didn't. So we then decided that we would find a partner to balance some of the work we were doing in the USA and Europe. But most of the time we have companies coming to us and saying, we like what you're doing here and we'd like some support. Mostly to do with strategy and connections between what they're doing on environment stuff, what they're doing socially and in their supply chains, which is a huge area of concern now. Do you have to do much to convince them that it is necessary now because the situation has changed and that the various impacts of climate are manifest? Need I say the fires and the floods and so on? You don't have to do anything to convince them that this is for real and it is something that affects them directly and all the companies and other stakeholders they have. What you do have to work really hard to do is to persuade them that it is so urgent that they need a radical transformation in what they do rather than a series of carefully modulated increments of change. And they much prefer the increments of change, because it doesn't create a lot of discomfort in the organization. It's easy to manage, and nobody suddenly ends up thinking, oh my God, is this business any longer viable at all? Because if we can do the increments of change, we can work our way gradually towards something which will be a lot more sustainable. But if you take them into the reality of where we are now with the speed of change in the climate, and where science is sitting now in terms of that, even mainstream science now giving out very different set of signals than was the case five years ago, then they do actually still get the fritz, as it were. They still think, oh my God, okay, that's so much worse than we thought. And then you have to work hard because they don't find that at all comfortable because they know lurking behind every decision they need to take is that going to jeopardize our profitability. And our duty to the shareholders, because if you look at the way that the market has changed, coal is now, and then gas is now, tremendously high-paying because of the way the market's been manipulated, not least by Russia in many ways. And we have to take that advantage because otherwise we're letting our not only the shareholders down, but um, our competitors win. Dinosaurs don't die gently. They thrash around like crazy. And none of these dinosaurs, and I include in that, of course, all the fossil fuel companies, all the mining companies as we know them, today, big ag in particular, big intensive agriculture, meat production. None of these sectors are just going to quietly hand back the keys and say, no, you're right. It is time to move on. We need to do all this different. They're not going to do that. They're going to thrash around. So I think everybody has to accept it's going to be turbulent 
In fact, the geopolitics of this is going to be as turbulent as what is happening in the climate. And that's where I think we can help people and companies negotiate this, give them a lot more confidence in mapping out a track for the kind of expedited change they need. And they don't normally do that. They need external help to push forward the director of strategy, the chief finance officer, the head of supply chain. You know, all of these people who think they're yeah, concerned about this and want to do the right thing, but they don't want to have to transform everything. And what do you say to them? Do you actually do this yourself and give them this kind of advice or do you put them in touch with the right people who understand the business better? No, we do this ourselves. I mean, we're sustainability experts. We're not experts in any of the sectors we work in. You know, I do work with aviation, retail, fast-moving consumer goods, energy, ag. There's no way I could be an expert in any of those, actually. But I would like to think I've got three decades' worth of experience in doing sustainability for corporates and five decades' worth of doing sustainability. So that's the forum's skill set, is we really understand sustainability scientifically, politically, economically, and from the governance side of things. And we bring that expertise to bear on whatever sector it is we're working with. Two countries. We've got the United Kingdom, where you normally live, and economically such a mess. How do you get your message across in such turbulence? It's been hellish in the UK, I have to say. Honestly, we've had a succession, as everybody here will know, a succession of just totally catastrophic misgovernments, I call them, because they've been so bad and so dysfunctional. And the damage done to our economy has been massive. And the damage done to our reputation globally is irreparable. And that's made it really difficult to get the kind of leadership from the chief execs and the boards of these companies, because the backdrop to a lot of this is, where's the security for what we're going to do? Give us the sense of continuity. Why can't we get policy guidelines that will be in place consistently for the next 10 years. So we know how to work out our capital expenditure. That's what we want to be able to do. And when you've got governments that can't provide that kind of consistent regulatory and incentivization framework, then companies will always default to more risk-averse behaviours. And that's made it really difficult. How do you prepare for the Australian business world to whom you say similar sorts of things. (laughs) I'm fascinated being in Australia right now after the election last year, which for those of us outside of Australia was one of the most encouraging, hopeful, inspiring things that happened in 2022, which was a bad year. But what happened here electorally in Australia was amazing, not just because of the ability to defenestrate Scott Morrison and his bunch, but to bring a Labour government into being, but also just that incredible movement of the independence, the Teal Revolution, the increased influence of the Greens. I mean, that was all brilliant stuff. There's still a lot of ambivalence in Labour about this. They've not embraced the reality of how a green economy will absolutely drive prosperity for people in the future. And they're still in catch-up mode. I guess they never quite got their act together as an opposition party, if I'm being absolutely honest while the National Liberal government was in place, they could have done so much more to prepare all that background information and the scenarios for how quickly the green economy could grow. And they're still playing a bit of this and a bit of the other, a foot in the old camp, a foot in the new camp. And if you look at what's happening in the world today, particularly after Joe Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, which is injecting around $360 billion 
into green economy in general, and you look at what's happening in the EU, and you look at the speed of change in China, and you begin to see how even India is starting to see the end of coal as uh, inevitability, you'd sort of think Australia, with all the natural advantages it's got, would be able to say, clear line in the sand. This was our past. We over-egged it. We did a huge amount of damage to this country and to the global environment as a consequence of relying too much on coal and iron ore and so on. Line in the sand, now it's going to be different. We've got everything we need here to drive a different kind of prosperity, particularly using solar energy, the resources for which seem to be practically limitless in this country. Well, the final problem, my final question really, is I represent blue-collar workers, of which we have thousands, and many of our regions depend on the coal mines and various other fairly old-fashioned smokestack industries. Why should I listen to you if you're going to possibly do me out of my job? See, that's why I'm indignant about Labour opposition parties not doing their homework. In all of these key transitions now, far more jobs are being created out of the green economy than are being lost in the old fossil fuel economy. And if you look at the speed with which that transition is kicking in, it's utterly remarkable. I mean, in America now, you really are not hearing about the intolerable injustice of people losing their jobs in the coal industry any longer because tens of thousands of new jobs are being created in these new green tech economies. So for me, I'm very alert to this. I'm a strong believer that you can't get climate right unless you put climate justice at the heart of what you're advocating for. And that means protecting people who will be displaced as a consequence of the end of fossil fuels, you have to put them at the heart of your transition strategy. And that is perfectly doable now because the amazing thing is this is going to create trillions of dollars of new value, much of which will be shared by people finding new opportunities, employment and all the rest of it in these new industries. Jonathan Porritt of Forum for the Future and Friends of the Earth. <laughs>